0: What's going on, everyone? Taylor Kyle's here for CLNS Media, bringing you another episode of Pat's Daily. Second of the day, if you didn't see the earlier episode I did with JP Acosta, where we broke down some of the news we're talking about today, but also kind of get his thoughts on some of the things that Pat should do this offseason, make sure to check it out. But for now, first, Remember, the show is brought to you by our good friends at FanDuel. More from them later. But I got my good buddy, friend of the show, Evan Lazar. Join me right now of Patriots.com, as everybody already knows. Mr. Big Shot. And we are going to be talking about a lot of the news. Like, it was a super busy Monday, and then it was a pretty emotional day today with the big announcement. So, first and foremost, before we get into all the Pats, mumbo-jubbo,
1: how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right, Taylor. How are you? I mean, look, this is not – I just want you to know – that this is not a normal off season. Like this is not how this time of year usually goes. Like we usually get a little bit of a lull uh, between the end of the year and I guess the combine and then combine free agency draft. But uh, this has been as crazy of an off season as I've ever, ever covered. And then we continue tomorrow with introductory press conferences for the coordinators. So uh, not, this is as crazy as it's ever been for me. So don't, don't worry. This is not normal. Yeah,
0: I thought the whole moving from L.A. to Boston was going to be like the craziest offseason. But no, give me a run for my money this year. I cannot go to the grocery store without having like a cold chill down my spine. Like something might happen and I'm going to have to sprint home. Uh, But that big piece of news from this morning, Matthew Slater retiring after a Hall of Fame caliber 16 year career. I feel like it's one of those career arcs where somehow not somehow I understand, but sometimes it's hard to really understand the value of a Matthew Slater. If you're not in the building, yeah. if you're, you know, one of the people who goes to the bathroom or goes to like get another drink anytime a team comes on or it's a kickoff or anything like that. So as someone who's studied this team so closely for so long, give me your perspective. What did Matthew Slater mean? Not just to the Patriots organization, but also to the game of football.
1: Yeah. I think it's such a great question. The, the game of football, because I don't, you know, I know there was Steve Tasker and some other guys, and I'm not a football historian, but just in general, I feel like the the special teams coverage ace, you know, the Matthew Slater role is become a a way to make an NFL roster and a way to stick on an NFL roster for a lot of people around the league that maybe it wouldn't have been a, a role or a position before Matthew Slater came around. So I, I feel like in that respect he he essentially created a position or at least created a roster spot for himself on the mm-hmm. Patriots for so many years. And I look at his leadership and I, I think it's twofold. One, we, we you know, obviously the locker room leadership, the, ah, yes, the, the emotional uh, you know, sort of spirit of the Patriots, I feel like has been captured by Matthew Slater for a good amount of time. But I also think that for young guys and uh, just from everybody on the team, his work ethic and his drive and uh, what he put into his craft as somebody that was such a unique position on the roster to put as much effort and and, uh, time into his craft as he did that had to have been contagious on some levels uh, to want to to see that and then to want to emulate that whether you're a young special teamer like a Brendan schooler or you're just another guy on the team. I, I feel like watching a guy and being like that guy puts in all this work, to cover kicks, like what am I doing if I'm not matching that level of intensity and that level of drive? So uh, I have so much respect for Matthew Slater, as we all do, but I, I feel like, uh, like you said, in order to capture what he meant to the Patriots, you have to have been around the Patriots since 2008 when he was drafted and really understand what went into it because I don't think that you can just sit down on Sundays and watch his impact on a football field and, and understand why he has a hall of fame resume.
0: Absolutely. And then, I mean, the video or the mic'd up that Patriots social team released yeah. today, man, that was honestly hard to watch just because, you know, he was such a massive figure and such a person that you have so much respect for. Like it's my first year on the beat, obviously being in the yeah. locker room, he is not an intimidating person. But he's an intimidating presence because you know what he means to them. Like the time Kasicki was joking about how he's like, "Dude, I was in high school and Matthew Slater had this same locker in this exact same spot. Like that's insane." And yeah. then the video where Justin Hardy talks about how like he got hurt and then was watching Matthew Slater close. He's like, "Dude, you really changed my life." And Hardy is a Pro Bowl special teamer. Aaron Rodgers saying he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Thomas More said the camera guys caught this did an amazing job. Where Thomas More said is getting emotional just taking the picture and saying goodbye, knowing that it was Slater. Now we know that they spoke before the game, saying that it was going to be his last. But, I mean, that's a division rival. That is pretty incredible. Like, the Jets flying high after a win, and, you know, there's all those emotions. And to still take the time to show respect for Matthew Slater, I just thought was incredible. You know, we got a lot to touch on, but I did think it was important to take the time to acknowledge, you know, what Absolutely. he meant to the game of football and to the Patriots. All right, so moving on. One of the big other news uh, headlines from today was franchise tag window officially opened at 4 p.m. So teams can put that tag on any players, whether they want to, you know, get another year to maybe decide what they want to do with contracts, just give themselves some leverage in negotiations. With that in mind, who are some people on the Patriots you think are some franchise tag options and why, more importantly?
1: Yeah, well, I would say you know, Mike Reese is the is the best and he doesn't just throw things out there without there being a little bit of smoke to, to the fire. So putting Kyle Duggar in his Sunday notes as uh, the prime franchise tag candidate and then Adam Schefter piggybacking off of that and putting Kyle Duggar on his list of franchise tag candidates, I think that there's a lot of smoke around the Patriots tagging Kyle Duggar. And I, I understand that for a lot of people, Mike Onwenu is, is a bigger priority to keep around uh, than Duggar is. But I think as you and I both know, Taylor, uh, Kyle Duggar is one of the most versatile players in the Patriots defense, and maybe in the entire NFL, just talking about uh, unique alignments and where he's lining up first, second, third level of the defense, inside, outside, deep safety, box safety. So to be able to replace him It's not just a one for one, like it's not going to be one guy that's going to be able to step in and do all those different things. So I think that there's a lot of value in what Kyle Duggar brings to the table. I think there's a lot of playmaking in what Kyle Duggar brings to the table, just being around the football uh, as much as he is. And I also think that there's something to be said for taking care of a guy that you drafted, you developed. And then having him be here long term, uh, him and Anwenu, I think, apply for that, where it sends a good message to the younger guys in the locker room. Like, hey, if you do the right things, if you develop, if you work hard, all those types of things, you know, you will be rewarded here, which I don't think has necessarily been the case over the last, you know, four or five years of the final Belichick uh, era regime type of time frame. It wasn't always the case that they awarded every single rewarded every single guy that that was drafted and did all the right things and was developed here. So I think that uh, you know both those guys, Duggar and Onwenu, have a case. Obviously, it'd be more expensive to tag Wenu. and if this regime views him as a guard, uh, I, I don't know if you're spending twenty million dollars on the franchise tag on a guard. I think that would be the the holdup there. But I, I understand both cases for those guys.
0: And with Duggar, the play that I usually think of where it's like, yeah, he's not just like box safety. He's a little something extra. Is when they played the uh, Browns a couple of years ago and then they actually had Duggar. It was like a three or four safety package. I think it was a three safety based defense and he was playing cornerback. And then Njoku's got him beat. He somehow manages to recover, turns around and picks it off where you're like, yeah, this this is not just the kind of guy you go on the market and you just replace him. He's a very different type of player. I was curious what your thoughts were on his 2023 season because although like he played deep way more. I think it was like I did the math it was like four and a half times more free safety than he played at any other point in this position or in his next career high like way, way more. And obviously kind of took him away from his strong suit. I did think and this is probably just something we have to live with the tackling. I feel like every year when you want to nitpick something in Kyle Duggar's game, it's that doesn't always wrap up. He tends to come in high and sometimes he just has people like run right by him do you think he had a down year necessarily considering like the role he was put in, and maybe that's why you're thinking about the tag or is there another reason? Cause for me, I do, I hate to say it because he is such a difference maker, but I also felt like the quality yeah. of the big plays he made weren't quite what we've seen in years past. And again, I would think that they would say, okay, we need to get somebody to take more of those deep snaps and keep Duggar close to the line of scrimmage where he's at his best.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Look, I, I don't think you can look at the film from 2023 and say that he was as good as he was in 22 or make this argument that he was a a franchise safety. You know, a guy like Antoine Winfield Jr. I think is a no-brainer franchise tag for Tampa Bay. I'm not sure if I would put Kyle Duggar in that category, and I think the main reason is his coverage ability. I, I do think that he is a little bit um, susceptible to getting beaten coverage, maybe a little bit more than a true, you know, lockdown box safety or, you know, great rangy center field safety. Uh, you look at plays like against Dalton Kincaid in the Buffalo Bills, where, you know, he said that he read run, kind of thought the formation down a distance was more of like a run play and uh, got caught by surprise that, uh, you know, Kincaid blew past him and give, gives up a big explosive play. I think those types of plays uh, that are on his film are or maybe a little bit more um, than you would like for somebody that you're going to pay a big guaranteed money contract to. So I wonder in some respects if maybe that is why they do go the tag route because it's not a long-term commitment. It is just a one-year commitment. Let's see what he looks like with this coaching staff. Maybe they do you know, bring his role back to more of that box safety role, and, and he shines like he did in 22. So I wonder if this is also a way of just kind of keeping the player around, but not necessarily signing up for a $40 million guaranteed type of contract.
0: Right. So while we're on the topic of free agents, who would you say are the players that you think this team needs to prioritize bringing back? Like, and it can be as far out of left field as you want. Like one guy I would throw in there. Is Miles Bryant. Like, as long as obviously it's a team-friendly deal, which I think is pretty understandable. I feel like he's someone that literally no one is talking about, despite the fact that, yeah, you can poo-poo his athleticism and all that. The amount of snaps he's played the versatility he's got, the intelligence, the respect, the toughness. I feel like those are the kind of traits where, again, for somebody who's probably not going to get a lot on the market because he's probably more valuable to New England than he is anybody else. I feel like he's someone where, in terms of priorities, if you're saying, all right, if there's five guys I really want to bring back, for me, he's there. But I'm curious, who else kind of makes that list for you?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good one, especially because it's probably not going to break the bank to bring back Miles Bryan, So it's a reasonable contract. Uh, I think that as the years have kind of gone on here a little bit, they've found out that is he that man-to-man slot corner? Probably not in a full-time capacity, but he can play different zone roles. He can play some of those lower leverage slot man snaps. You know, if he's not going up against a great receiver in the inside there, uh, he can handle those responsibilities, and he can play a little bit of safety. So I'm all for keeping continuity on the defense. Look, you have Gerard Mayo as the head coach. You have DeMarcus Covington as a defensive coordinator. The two secondary coaches are coming back. Why all of a sudden would you start blowing up the defense on that side of the ball when you have all this continuity that's already coming back from a pretty good defense a year ago? So I'm all for that. I still think number one priority uh, to me would be Mike Onwenu. I, I just feel like this team started to go off the rails offensively with the the you know house of cards on the interior of the offensive line. Joe Tooney, Shaq Mason, Ted Karras and basically two off seasons, they wiped out the interior offensive line and tried to start from scratch outside of David Andrews. And I think that really set them back a big time, especially when you look at how important it is to have that clean shelf for these quarterbacks to step up in the pocket and deliver throws. I think that really derailed Mac Jones's development, having so many different moving parts on the interior, younger players playing on the inside, like Cole strange, like that I think was a big reason why the Patriots took a step back offensively is because they just let offensive talent, especially on the line, walk out the door. And we're really uh, not willing to uh, keep it around, especially in the cases of, of Joe Tooney, who I think should still be a Patriot. Like, I think there's no reason that they should have let that happen. So I, I look at Onwenu in a similar light, whether he plays tackle, whether he plays guard, he's going to make the line better somewhere. And I'm willing to just let you know that happen, regardless of position, and you figure out What's our best five and our best configuration uh, later on? It's right now. It's about accumulating talent, and I, I would prioritize on Wenu. I also look at tight end, and uh, I, I don't love this tight end class in the draft. You know, obviously Brock Bowers is Brock Bowers. I love Jatavian Sanders from Texas, but he's going to be a top 40 pick. You probably have to take him at 34. Does that make sense from a roster construction standpoint? I guess we'll see. Uh, but after that, it it kind of drops off for me and I'm, I'm not really crazy about it. But what I do like is, is there are a couple of tight ends in free agency that I think uh, would help this team, including you know Hunter Henry, which if they can be reasonable, I mean, he is 30, so I, I don't want to pay through the nose for Hunter Henry, but I look at Henry as another guy that on a team-friendly deal, reasonable contract, uh, keep him in the building for a couple years, and then maybe you grab one of these tight ends in the draft as a developmental player uh, that you can develop long-term. I, I think expecting a rookie tight end to come in and be a day-one impact player and a starter is very lofty. It doesn't usually happen. Like Sam Laporta is a, is a, is an anomaly. Like those inception. guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like those guys don't usually come in right away. It's much more of like what Michael Mayer gave the Raiders last year, or uh, the two guys in green Bay, we're talking 300, 400 yards, maybe a couple touchdowns. Uh, that's a big drop off in production from what Hunter Henry has given you the last couple of years. So I look on, on Wenu you uh, Henry, uh, certainly Duggar, I, I think, belongs in this category, and I agree with you on Miles Bryan as well.
0: I'm curious what you think about, one, the edge position, and Jennings and Josh Shuche and how they should prioritize them, and also some of the depth tight ends. I feel like Pharaoh Brown, he could go one way or the other. It's not a huge needle mover, but it makes sense if they bring him back because he's got experience with Van Pelt. But is an interesting one. I personally think they'd probably be better off with someone like Harrison Bryant, who I also think has some kind of breakout potentials, probably going to come really cheap, has experience in the system, can probably translate really quickly. But how do you feel about Kasicki and whether or not he fits into this new offense? Because I'm not so sure I see it, even though I really like him as a person and think he kind of got a raw deal as a player last year.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point there at the end, but I'm with you. I I think the big thing about this offense with Alex Van Pelt from what we've seen is that that explosive, big playability from the tight end position is something that he can really bring out with all the play action, with all the bootleg, you know, all the misdirection that they do throw in this offense. If you can have a guy, obviously, David and joku is is a rare specimen like those guys don't necessarily grow on trees. But if you can have a guy, at that tight end two spot. If you you do bring back a Hunter Henry that can create with the football in his hands, you know, you run him on one of those submarine routes off of bootleg action and he's open in the flat and he catches one. And all of a sudden it's a 20 yard gain. Like those are the types of things that I look at in this been pelt offense that Njoko was being able to thrive off of that. I hope that they can find a guy. That's what I think, you know, I I love, you know, Jadamian Sanders so much for them because he's that type of player now, maybe that's a little bit more of an investment than they want to make at tight end, but I look at a guy like Gerald Everett as someone that I would maybe target in free agency because he does have that rack ability. He's not necessarily that downfield threat uh, that you know produces uh, on those downfield routes like up the seam and things like that, uh, but you give him the ball in his hands around the line of scrimmage and he's going to create with it. I, I feel like this offense in a lot of ways is like what they envisioned Johnny Smith being able to do for them, but they just weren't in that offense to begin with. And I feel like Gerald Everett is a lot more like that Johnny Smith type, and maybe they can get him for a decent uh, contract. That's not too expensive. So uh, I look at that as a fit. You know, obviously Dalton Schultz is somebody that's a little bit younger than Hunter Henry and kind of fits the same mold. But I definitely look at a, a guy like Everett or even Noah Fant and say, you know, those are two guys that might be able to bring uh, some chunk playability to the offense that has shown that a guy like David Njoku can go off for 900 yards in this scheme. Yeah,
0: I was going to say Gerald Everett. So, like, less expensive or rather affordable, uh, uh, Johnny Smith. Uh, But then going back to the edge guys as well. So thoughts on Anthony Jennings because I feel like he's probably in that tier. It's okay. I threw two questions at you. That was my bad. (laughs) But, like, Jennings I feel like is in that list of, like, as long as he's not asking for crazy money, you got to bring him back. Because, yeah, the pass rush isn't there, but the playmaking on early downs. Like, if you can get teams behind the sticks – or if there's an entire like edge of the line of scrimmage they can't run at. I feel like that's hugely valuable. And then Josh Uche, I really want to know what you think about why he regressed. Because I understand there was the foot injury. And he did have a pretty hot start earlier in the year. But it also just felt like even when the foot wasn't an issue, the quality of pass rush that you got out of him wasn't really the same. And then obviously, especially the last couple of games, you had him blowing some assignments where you're just like, Uche, man, you can't be doing this considering like they're trying to give you a chance out there on some rundowns yeah. and you're not going to get many. So what do you think and how they about how they should out prioritize those guys?
1: Well, I I am in the school of thought to a degree that Anfernee Jennings is the, the guy you pay out of these two. But I am curious to see what kind of scheme they play under Covington and Mayo. Obviously it's going to be similar to what Belichick wanted to do, but how much of setting the edge and being disciplined and gap discipline and rush lane integrity and like all, how much of that is going to translate versus, you know, we are going to allow guys to have a little bit more carte blanche on the edge to rush the passer, because I feel like Uche's drop off last year, That really got in his head, if you ask me, that he needed to be Mm. more stout on the edge. He needed to be more disciplined in his rush lanes, and he couldn't go into his bag because I talked to him about it a little bit uh during the season, and I was like, dude, like last year you were in your bag, man. Like you were spin-moving guys, you were ghost rushing guys, you were using that little hezzy move. Like, I haven't seen where it where did that go? Like, it's I know you were still capable from an athletic standpoint, uh, to be able to do all that stuff. And I feel like a lot of his responses were about trying to pigeonhole himself into this type of defense, and he really wanted to be mm. a long-term fit in a Belichick defense. And, uh, you know, that wasn't necessarily what they were looking for, which is a little bit of a head scratcher when you think about, okay, so they're not looking for a 12 sack guy, like they don't want people sacking the quarterback, like, all right, I guess that whatever, but not to like rag on Bill, I just, I, I think that if you allow Uche to beat Uche, and get back into that bag of tricks like he was in the second half of 2022, uh, he's still going to be a high level pass rusher. So I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, just let Uche walk. I I think that there's still a, a a possibility and really a a wise decision to try to make something work with him, obviously continuing to say, don't overpay, don't overpay. But uh, I would definitely look at Uche and say, with some younger coaches, maybe a little bit of a different scheme. Uh, you know, they might have that ability to allow him uh, to pin his ears back. And certainly, uh, you know, as well as Matthew Judon isn't here. Uh, I think that you have to allow him to do that, but I'm sure we'll get into some of the names in the free agency class on the edge, but depending on uh, what happens with the franchise tags, this is a, one of the more loaded uh, position groups in free agency is edge rusher. So I, I do wonder if they go out of house in some of these spots.
0: Yeah, and it also seems like in, in the draft, at least in all the mocks I do, like I haven't watched these guys enough to be like, all right, they should be way higher. But it seems like on day three, you can get guys where it's like, yeah, he needs some time. But if you need password shoots immediately, he's got it. It's like, all right, yeah, perfect. Because ideally, yeah. they're not going to need somebody to play every single down. And, you know, you still don't know what they're going to do in free agency. Before we get to those free agent names, quick word for our friends at FanDuel. We'll be back. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 bucks if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit fanduel.com Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts, hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com, gamblinghelplinema.org, or call 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1 800 GAM 1234. All right. So we've mentioned the Patriots in-house free agent candidates, what they could do there. But when we get past that phase, now, obviously, it's hard because we don't know yet what they need and what they don't. You always want to talk about the drafting for agency, but there's other hay that has to be put into the barn. But based on what we know now, what do you think the Patriots plan is and how they're going to attack free agency? And who are some players you think can kind of fit
1: in the mold of what you think that plan might be? Well, uh, they they have cash to burn, as Gerard Mayo uh, told us. So I I think they're going to be big spenders in free agency. But I I look at this and I do think that they have to learn a little bit from the 2021 uh, free agency spree and really follow the talent in this free agency class. And, um, you know, I had this take on Patriots.com today. I, I, I feel like when you just look at the available free agents and again, you know, the tags might change some things a little bit here. But there's so much talent on the defensive side of the ball that might be hitting unrestricted free agency that I look at it and say, would you rather pay you know, a, a, a fine B-plus level wide receiver like he's an A-plus level wide receiver, or would you rather give a bag of money – To Christian Wilkins or Brian Burns or uh, Josh Allen, not the quarterback, the edge rusher, you know, like one of these types of guys. You know, what if uh, you know Kansas City? They got a lot of mouths to feed in Kansas City right now in terms of contract. Like, what if Lejarius Sneed ends up hitting free agency, and you can you compare Sneed with Christian Gonzalez for the next five years? Like, those are the types of things that I look at and say, like, why chase the talent? Don't try to fill holes just because this guy's got WR next to his name or that guy's got OT next to his name. I think that they need to learn from that uh, mistake in 21 where they really set themselves up with a core for a couple of years there of complimentary pieces, but no real alpha in their offense. And I think that that was because of how they overpaid Johnny Smith a little bit. They overpaid Nelson Aguilar a little bit. Uh, So I, I, I understand that defense isn't necessarily you know, everybody wants to offense. Everyone wants them to invest in offense. But I'm I'm trying to look at it of, well, let's set up the draft to be offense heavy. Let's make sure that the defense is maybe a couple moves away from being an elite defense, if we can put it over the top and free agency. And then you look at the draft, and now all we can draft, you know, three offensive players in the top 100, four offensive players in the first four rounds. Uh, so I, I would definitely look at this class of free agents and steer a little bit more towards the defensive guys, assuming that a T Higgins, a Michael Pittman, Jr., uh, those types of players are going to be back where they're currently at.
0: Are there any guys on offense who you would feel comfortable kind of throwing a bag at of the more realistic options? Or do you think this year that offense, if you're going to be spending it for agency, it's more trying to fill holes like an interior offensive lineman with some experience, maybe like a quality swing tackle, running back, something like that, where it's not a huge need, but definitely a place where they could stand to kind of bolster up.
1: Yeah, I, you know, look, I've always loved Calvin Ridley's game. I, I just feel like he's got that route running PhD that is just so smooth and, and explosive. And I love guys, you know, and I, I'm the same way in the draft. I, I don't I love separators. I have no time for your contested catch guys. Like no offense to Devonte Parker. Right. But I, I just like if you're a jump ball receiver, uh, you're not for me. I would much rather have the guy that can get open at the top of the route and, and win with his route running. And I, that's why I've always loved Calvin Ridley. And going back to – I know it's a different regime, you know, different coach, everything, but uh, the 2018 draft, it, for, based off the reports at the time, it was between Isaiah Wynn and Calvin Ridley in the first round, and they ended up taking Isaiah Wynn. So hmm. I, I think that that's one of those moves that you know some of these guys, Matt Groh maybe still in the building, that can look at it and say – Hey, let, let, let's let's you know make this right. Let's fix this mistake <laughs> from the draft a few years ago, and go after a guy like Ridley. But at the same time, Ridley's 29, going on 30 years old. Uh, he's not a young guy anymore, and that that's a little bit of a hesitation. But I look at his skill set. I love, just always have loved his game. And then you also look at what Amari Cooper did in Cleveland in this Alex Van Pelt offense. And I think there's a lot of overlap between those two guys. Uh, so I would say Ridley's probably going to be the best receiver available, assuming that the guys that we think are going to get tagged, get tagged. And, um, you know, Mike Evans, maybe, uh, but I, I would imagine that Mike Evans is going to stay in Tampa Bay. I, I don't think you change teams at this point in your career too often.
0: Yeah. And in terms of Ridley, how do you feel about him in that Amari Cooper, like X ISO kind of role? Because I personally think he's probably better as a C, not just at this point in his career, but I feel like his skill set, like off the ball is just where he maximizes value. Whereas if you want to put him there, it's kind of like a Jacoby Myers situation for me, where it's like, all right, if you like the matchup, then for sure, like depending on the play, do that. I just don't love the idea of having him as that Amari Cooper X full time. But what have you seen? Am I kind of off there?
1: No, I I hear you. And I I guess they probably did isolate Cooper a little bit more, but I I just look at the route running ability. I look at the skill set, and I see a pretty similar guy, you know, not going to win with like play strength and all that kind of stuff, more of that technician. And I think that that's a great fit in this third down offense in particular, where they do go more spread, where they did run a decent amount of empty. Like they want guys that can just win one-on-one on the outside in those situations, because the goal is of course to be in, third and four, third and five, and not third and long because you're staying ahead of the chains on first and second down. So I, I look at Ridley as someone that can win on a lot of those routes. I'd also just say I I want to be careful how I phrase this because we all love Pop Douglas. Like, we all think Pop Douglas is a good player and is a part of the solution here. But I don't know how you feel about this, Taylor. I, I don't necessarily view Pop Douglas as a guy that's going to have 150 targets in this offense. Like, I think that he's a, a really good number three receiver that is probably going to be more of like a true slot gadget style player. I don't think that they're going to be feeding Pop Douglas targets like it's going out of style. So that I do think opens up that full-time Z-roll or that starting Z-roll to have another guy that comes in that is a little bit more of that high-volume target. I don't think right now that they necessarily have like the guy that's driving the bus in their passing game offensively. And I don't necessarily think that that is pop.
0: I agree. I, I've been whispering that take because I, I don't want to get eaten alive, but realistically, especially with the concussions, that's the biggest yeah. thing for me is even if like scheme wise, you wanted to turn him in like an Elijah Moore where they use him as a running back a lot, and you know, they really like to scheme touches for him. I think we'll see some of that still because of his explosiveness but you have to protect him still. And you can't keep like throwing it to him over the middle and putting him in these situations where he's prone to take big hits. So right. I definitely would agree that there's a limited way that you can use him to maximize his ability while protecting him. So I do think that you need the like bona fide Z at least with the complementary X, which is like someone in the draft, like a Brendan Rice is like my ideal. Right. If they are going to get a guy where it's like good value and he can be a good player for you. That's the kind of thing I've been thinking about. Also, I'm curious how you feel about how much money they actually have to spend because the reason they have so much cap space is because they don't have a lot of players under contract. <laughs> it's like this yeah. year and next year, it's looking pretty bare. So, I mean, I know it's fun to be like, oh, they're going to pay these two players like $20 million. They don't have that kind of money. So what do you think realistically we should expect? If, say, they re-sign, you know, the franchise Duggar, re-sign and Wenu, keep Jennings, Bryant, and who's like a Hunter Henry. Like that right there, you probably like half of the spending money you were gonna have. So, and then you need money for draft picks, and then throughout the season, you have to sign guys just in case. So, how many of these big type of contracts do you think we'll actually see?
1: Well, I I do think that there is some buyer's remorse from the 2021 spending spree with ownership. So I, I don't necessarily think that they're going to set a record for free agent spending again like they did a couple years ago, because I remember right after they did that. Uh, you know, Robert Kraft came out in the media during the owners meetings and said, we used to make fun of teams that did this like we we, this was not this is not how we want to build our team. We want to build through the draft. We want to build for sustainability. We don't want to go for quick fixes. So I don't necessarily think that they're going to go out and go crazy like they did there and hand out some of the you know, three, four, five of the biggest contracts in total value in free agency. But I do think that they are going to hand out you know, one or two big ones. And I, you know, I, like I mentioned some of those guys in the skill positions, if those guys are available, I could see them happening, you know, doing that. But I also look at Gerard Mayo and I can't help but think, you know, this is a defensive minded head coach. Like this is a guy that's going to want to have a really good defense and want to continue to build on that side of the ball. Uh, So whether it's one of these interior guys like Wilkins or uh, one of the edge rushers, uh, what you know, I mentioned Snead. I don't know if that's going to be possible, but like one of these big free agents in the, you know, PFF top 10, you know, come available and want to uh, take a bag from the Patriots. I could definitely uh, see that happening as well. I I just, I don't look at the offensive options and say, you know, outside of maybe you know, maybe or Calvin Ridley, uh, you know, who's worth paying that much money to in this group especially uh when you look at the tackles like i'm not paying any of these tackles any any uh you know type of crazy money you know on, on whenu notwithstanding i whatever you want to call him but i i definitely think that there's a chance that uh they hand out some money but i i don't think, expect it to be uh like it was a few years ago where they're breaking records and stuff like that because i don't think that that's the type of team they want to be
0: and I'm kind of rambling with these follow-ups, but mention the defensive front and how they're going to spend their money. Christian Barmore, do you think he's a legitimate extension candidate or do you think they're trying to establish whatever they got to do this year and they'll put it off until next season? Because if there's anybody, you know, they're not a huge extension team with guys who are probably in line to make big money. But if anybody deserves it, it feels like Barmore because for my money, I thought he was a Pro Bowl type of player. Obviously, yeah. he tackle such a loaded position, but like if you're putting his film next to the guys who made all pro, I don't think that he looks super out of place.
1: No, I, I don't either. And honestly, I thought some of those guys that made the Pro Bowl over him made it on reputation a little bit more than they made it like, the, oh, they just had much better film than Christian Barmore did last year. And, uh, you know, that's part of it. I think, you know, talking to him about the Pro Bowl, you almost have to have like your breakout year, and then you make the Pro Bowl the next year, because you get that recognition the year before. And then the next year, when you stack it together, you you have those accolades come your way. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's in his future. I, I look at Barmore as a prime con- extension candidate. And again, I, I wonder if that's a little bit of something that they could do that's, maybe a defect from the Belichick way of doing things to show people in the building, you know, send messages to people in the building that this is not going to be the the same way that we've run it before. And I, I look at the receiver position in a similar way. Uh, how long have we been clamoring for them to go out and pay a number one wide receiver, not a Nelson Aguilar, like a true number one wide receiver. And uh, that has never been a move that that Belichick has felt the need to do. I don't think that he's ever prioritized or believed in the outside receiver being a a paramount to your success in in the NFL. So I wonder if some of these moves, I, I look at the Raiders a couple of years ago when Ziegler and McDaniels got away from the nest. The first move that they made was trading for Devonte Adams. I I don't know if Belichick would have <laughs> done it. You're not the that. Patriots. You're right. right. <laughs> so I, I wonder if Elliot Wolf and and Gerard Mayo look at it and say, uh, you know, yeah, let let's. Let's be different. Let's give Christian Barr more a big money extension because we trust the guy. Let's give a, a Calvin Ridley. Let's give you know, Michael Pittman Jr., whoever comes available at receiver. Let's give him a, a, a decent amount of money to be a number one guy for us. And let's do this a little bit differently because I think that people are realizing uh, this Brady's not walking through that door anymore. So they're, they're going to have to pay a little bit for some of this talent.
0: I want to pivot a bit from the roster to the coaching staff because yesterday we got all the announcements, all 17 brand new shiny faces on the coaching staff. At first it started off and we're like, these guys are super young. And then as it started to trickle in, it's like, all right, they're getting some experience. You got Van Pelt, you got McAdoo. And then it came out and it's like, OK, there's actually a really good balance. You've got the young guys in certain positions, but really no one is on an island, especially with the young coaches. There's a bunch of uh, we got uh, uh, quality control coaches. We have assistant coaches in certain positions. So I'm curious. I'll go through and shoot off some of the new names from the announcement that we hadn't heard about prior. So we have Bob Bicknell, the tight ends coach. Benita Palme, he's a uh, quality control coach. Tyler Hughes, wide receivers coach, kind of sneaky hire there. Uh, Jamel Lett, uh, quality control coach. Then we've got, going through the picture right now, Brian McDonough, another really interesting guy. He's actually worked with the Patriots for like 20 years. Now is their assistant strength and conditioning coach. And then we got Tom Quinn, special teams assistant coach, beat the Patriots in both of the uh, Super Bowls they lost to the Giants. And then Kobe Tippett, uh, another quality control coach for special teams, who is the son hall of famer andre Tippett. so were there any of those names to you like very very cool uh so were there any of those names that really stood out to you something you thought was really interesting about those candidates because i'm understandably not super familiar names but i did think that a lot of them had pretty interesting resumes where i'm like okay i would like to see how this works like i'm I'm cautiously optimistic but i don't think it was the same kind of like who the hell are these guys that a lot of people maybe had that knee-jerk reaction to when it was announced
1: yeah, you know, look, I I think that uh, Bignell has a lot of experience, and you look at his resume, uh, quarterbacks, receivers, uh, he's coached a lot of different places, Safety's. a lot. Of different <laughs> positions. He's been coaching for like you know thirty years or something crazy like that. Uh, so I like that he brings a lot of experience to the staff, and I, I I think that that's a good thing. And I look at a guy like Tyler, who's uh, obviously when he was here, uh, his first stint, the last couple years he had to have stood out to Gerard Mayo somehow. Like you don't just bring this guy back out of thin air uh, for no reason. And so when he was with the Patriots as an offensive assistant, obviously Mayo caught wind or, or observed his football IQ and and thought highly of the guy. The other angle of that, which I I personally love because you know, we were draft guys uh, the Intel that he brings from Washington, I think is extremely valuable. Uh, Especially looking at the positions of the players that are going to be in this draft from Washington at quarterback and receiver, and even a guy like Fotnau, you know, I think might be a guard, but can play tackle in the league too. Uh, So I look at their ability to pick the brain of Tyler Hughes of, you know, what makes these guys tick, you know, who are your guys that you really trusted? Who are your alphas? You know, that type of stuff I think really matters. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to draft Roma Dunze or something like that. Uh, But if you're sitting there, at 34 and you don't take the quarterback early, like is Michael Penix Jr. an option? If you need a receiver on day two, is uh, Polk or or Jalen McMillan, who I like a lot as well, are those guys options? So I think that that's a, a really interesting hire. And I think Taequann Underwood is someone that I know has a really good reputation at Pitt and uh, was uh, kind of a rising star a little bit in the receiver world. So maybe he's the guy that is out there that's actually working on technique, working on releases, like that kind of stuff. And I think Tyler Hughes is maybe a little bit more of a game plan, you know, X's and O's that, mm-hmm. you know, that side of things. Um, so I look at those guys and and I think that that's a decent room. I love the Tyquan Underwood hiring. Uh, I think that he's someone that, um, has really like i said you know jordan addison talked really really highly of him when he was at pit and a couple of those receivers have played pretty well for them and uh, is someone that is more of that footwork release package you know technician type of guy so uh, I- i'm excited about that hire i think that that's a th- those are the types of guys that in the past the receivers have definitely got- gravitated towards
0: and then just kind of adding to it, like Scott Peters and Robert Kugler, I feel like are a couple guys that kind of, yeah. maybe not as much Scott Peters because obviously worked for Brian Callahan. Like that's. Pretty good resume to have, even if he hasn't had his own position group. But then I know Robert Kugler, I was seeing things that were like, yeah, he's seen as a rising star. And I was like, oh, God, I had no idea. You wouldn't expect it from his background. But yeah. again, it's just a lot of these guys where at least their reputations are good. You know, I think the only guy who they hired who really I haven't heard much of anything about is Taylor Embry. Taylor Gang, though, so I got to love him. But, I mean, the rest of those guys, I do feel like there's at least something where you're like, all right, I can understand why you're at least giving this guy a chance. And everybody else, like Thicknell, also has the Alex uh, Alex Van Pelt um, overlap. They were together in uh, Cincinnati with the Bengals at the end of the Marvin Lewis era, right at the beginning of Zach Taylor. So, again, cautiously optimistic, but I love that background. Last thing I'm going to hit you with before we get out of here. Combine, coming up soon. Not super soon, but soon enough. Who are some guys, obviously positions in need, we're probably going to be focused on, but are there any specific players who you're really going to be locking in on and trying to uh, pay attention to? Also, are you going to be there?
1: I am. Oh, yeah. All right, the so we'll link up then. All oh, right. awesome. I'm glad you're coming. Yeah, we'll be there the whole week on uh, Patriots.com. So there's going to be a lot going on. I, I think it's going to be a little bit more open from a Patriots standpoint than what we've seen in the past. In the past, Bill Belichick has never t- hasn't never has talked at the Combine. shouldn't say never he hasn't talked at the combine in probably a decade, right? Like it just isn't something that he's, he did. So I, I expect that to change this time around. So we might hear from some of these Patriots guys. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers not to give out any too much inside information, but I, I do hope that we're going to hear from Elliot Wolf, which I think would, would be really good. Uh, seeing that it does sound like he's the one that's actually running the show right now from a personnel standpoint. Uh, but in terms of the players at the combine, uh, I think the biggest things for me uh, you know we got some of them at the senior bowl so i guess uh this has been covered for kind of those day two guys at the tackle position but guess what uh arm length matters okay like so I'm like, getting some of these measurements in these arms i know that's super nerdy uh but i i think that's important uh because you know it's really hard to play tackle in this league um with shorter arms it just it It'd be that ability to establish first contact, and uh, you know, keep yourself, uh, you know, clean in your chest and things like that. If you got those shorter arms, it's it's really difficult to do. Uh, so I do think that that matters. I, I look at the quarterbacks, and I, I think a lot of things that matter are behind the scene behind the scenes with them. Uh, that this is a point in time when you start to get to interview these guys and really get to know these guys as people, and I think that's really important when it comes to. A leadership position like quarterback you know the film's the film uh but now is the time when teams uh, get their hands on these guys to talk to them and get to know them as people and leaders and football iq and put them on the whiteboard and test them and like you know things like that uh, they don't get to do that during this, the football season in the fall they don't get to talk to these guys so i think that's important and i was talking to cameron williams the patriots uh, college scouting director at the senior bowl for a piece. And uh, he said that there's still a lot of value in the 40 yard dash and the athletic testing for the wide receivers. You know, yes, they, they use a lot of the player tracking data uh, that everybody else uses, you know, the in-game tracking data, uh, but they still put a lot of emphasis on, uh, you know, how athletic these guys are. It's an athletic position. It's a speed position and that type of stuff still matters. So I'm not necessarily looking at, you know, oh, how fast is a guy, you know, X or guy Y run, but just in general, I I think that it's important for all these guys to run well, uh, obviously, you know, at the receiver position in particular.
0: Evan, always a pleasure, buddy. Thank you so much for stopping by. Please let the people know where they can find you, you know, that little caveat, and what great work you got coming down the pipeline that we should be looking out for.
1: Yeah, so you can find me at uh, patriots.com, obviously, and you got the the little Twitter handle, you know, right right there, so you can uh, follow me there. But like I said, uh, we're doing a whole lot of you know combine preview, draft preview type of stuff over at patriots.com, and uh, we'll be at the combine all week, next week, uh, doing uh, podcasts, written work, all that kind of stuff. So I'm really looking forward to. Is this your first trip to the combine? This, this is my first trip. Dude, this is going to be my first time
0: leaving Sharon, Massachusetts in like three weeks. So I'm very excited.
1: Oh, you're going <laughs> to love it. It is, uh, it is, you know, a combination of like n- football nerd heaven with all the, you know, the, the interviews and the and obviously what's going on on the field and then like NFL spring break where everybody just like has a good time. So it, it's one of my favorite events of the year and I, I'm, I, I'm glad you're coming. It'll be a great time
0: super excited can't wait to see you buddy thank you all for watching so much as always now take care of yourselves